I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 317 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I have an awesome guest for you guys today. Nick Ayers was named by Time Magazine as one of the top 40 under 40 most influential people in politics. He served as chief of staff to Vice President Pence between 2017 and 2019. And he was the leading contender to serve as the White House chief of staff, but decided not to take the position. He will talk about why he made that decision and so much more. Nick Ayers will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. Next week, I will be hitting you guys with three episodes. Each one is a banger. Monday, I'll be joined here by entrepreneur, author, and podcaster David Harris Jr. Wednesday, Green Beret and UFC fighter Tim Kennedy will be joining me here. And Friday, I'm going to have a fresh Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Follow me over on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out which Navy SEAL will be joining me on the podcast. All right, so next week, we're going to include a Green Beret and a Navy SEAL. That's going to be off the hook. And today's interview with Nick Ayers was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on the YouTube channel. Please subscribe to First Class Fatherhood on YouTube. I've been doing my best to try to upload prior episodes to the channel. My interviews with Tony Hawk, Dana White, and many others are up there for you guys to listen to. And my interview with reality star John Goslin has been viewed over 60,000 times on YouTube. So go check that one out and keep it locked in as I continue to try to work hard here to bring you the best possible conversations about fatherhood and family life with some of the most well-known people on the planet. And please consider hitting me with a rating or review on iTunes or wherever it is that you enjoy listening to the podcast. And please help me spread the word about this show to every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Nick Ayers. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Why is First Class Fatherhood climbing to the top of the podcasting charts? Listen to what dads like UFC President Dana White, legendary New York City radio host Greg T, and Navy SEAL David Rutherford have to say about the podcast. What a cool podcast. It's one of the coolest ones I've ever did. And congrats, seriously, I mean it. What a cool podcast concept, and uh, I I love it. Good for you, man. Continued success. Dude, I love this podcast, man. Your questions are phenomenal, bro. Phenomenal. I am really happy, and I can tell you honestly, I'm proud to be a part of it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Alec, and and God bless you and what you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, I think the uh, compiling this many fathers and this much great information is going to be invaluable in so many ways. So I, I wish you all the best, brother. So let's go, dads. We are not babysitters. We are fathers, and we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Subscribe to First Class Fatherhood today. Joining me now, First Class Father, Nick Ayers. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. It's great to be here. As I just told you, it's uh, it's a little supernatural. I'm a fan of the show and I uh, think you're doing a good thing here. Yeah, well, thank you. It's an honor to have you on board today. Let's start right here. How many kids do you have and how old are they? We have three children. It's uh, two boys and a girl and they're all seven years old. So, And, and on top of that, their birthday is uh, 12, 12, 12 of all days. Uh, so wow. it's, yeah, it's, it's, Pretty, pretty neat to have triplets on 12-12-12. Very cool. Now, do you have them in uh, sports or activities yet? Do they all do the same thing, or do they all kind of have different interests with that? 
Yeah, no, they uh, they all are into similar and different things. So like our daughter loves tennis. Uh, she loves turkey hunting with me. She's probably our best turkey hunter and started doing that when she was three years old. Uh, our boys are both into basketball and baseball, but are are gifted differently in, in each sport, um, uh, both in sort of understanding the game and their academic capability, their uh, their uh, understanding the game, but their athletic prowess, whereas uh, one child really exceeds at baseball and power hitting, but also loves uh, horseback riding. The other son excels at uh, basketball and uh, enjoys riding dirt bikes. Uh, all three of them love the outdoors. They love being in a, any kind of hunting stand or deer blind. Uh, if I uh, if I take them to do that, which I do quite often, they all enjoy four wheelers and dirt bikes. And really, they just like anything uh, being outside. Yeah, that's awesome. Nick. Now, did you guys find out what you were having as far as all three of the sexes of the kids or did you wait for that until they came out? We knew early on my wife was in a high risk pregnancy. And so uh, we we initially thought we were having twins and knew it was a boy and a girl. And it's really a touching story. The they called it baby C. They kept saying baby C has no amniotic fluid and therefore wouldn't make it. And they couldn't tell because the amniotic fluid was so low. They couldn't tell if it was a boy or a girl. But medically speaking, they said, look, it's irrelevant. Um, the, the pregnancy will self-terminate sooner rather than later. And we kept going back again, as a, as a high risk pregnancy, you know, they wanted it monitored with some frequency and in the coming months, they'd say, you know, well, baby C, uh, we can now tell you what it is, but it's still not a viable, uh, embryo. And, uh, we just kept praying for a miracle and we, uh, we got one when pretty late in the pregnancy, they said, this is stunning, but the, uh, there's a lot of amniotic fluid. The baby C is caught up and we can tell you that uh, you're going to have a boy. So uh, we have uh, two two boys and a girl and, and there's such blessings. And, and really, we look back on the on the pregnancy. And while I think in hindsight, we would we would you know consider it all stressful or anxious. But really, we just had so much peace throughout it. And it was such a time of uh, excitement and anticipation, anticipation. Wow. Yeah, that's incredible, Nick. And if you could just take a minute here to kind of hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. So I grew up west of Atlanta and what the, at the time when I grew up, it was a small town. It's not anymore. It's all still Georgia and uh, and always had a, a passion for working and real jobs and started working at a car wash when I was a kid to make uh, extra money. I would ride my bicycle uh, there in middle school and detailed cars and cut yards throughout middle school, uh, started working in a local bank in high school with the dream of being a, a local banker. I really wanted to be president of the local bank. And uh, shortly after graduating high school, developed a real affinity for politics and had always liked reading the news, uh, the newspaper and watching the local news. But my freshman year in college, uh, got pretty involved in politics and uh, just sort of a, a fascinating thing. A, a state senator came along and said, none of the political professionals believe that I can win this governor's race. And so I'm trying to find a group of young people who really believe that we can transform the state. And he gave me and a, a few of what became my best friends, a really unique opportunity to play a real role uh, in his campaign for governor. And he assembled what was essentially, in hindsight, sort of like a bad news bearers of politics. It was a 
so uh, that ended up being successful. It was uh, it was a great opportunity to to have that kind of success. It was good fate, good fortune. Though I worked hard to take advantage of an opportunity. And four years later, uh, that same governor asked me to lead his reelection campaign. So there was, uh, I think, 50 or 60 staff, uh, 45 to 55 staff, 30 to 35 million dollar budget. And I had the opportunity to lead that effort at a uh, at an early age. I was 23 and 24 throughout that two year campaign. And we were successful uh, and we were successful uh, right after he won reelection. It was a bad year for Republicans in 2006. So we sort of stood out as a bright spot. And uh, he got a call from the National Republican Governors Association that they wanted uh, Sonny to lead the RGA. He didn't have any national ambitions, but he basically said, if you'll let these young guys run the organization that have led my political effort in Georgia, I'll chair it, but I want them to lead it. And so from the time I was uh, 24 until I guess I was 28, I led what at the time became the biggest political committee in the in the country, the RGA, and uh, just had a, a great team working with me, and uh, we laid out a plan to exponentially grow the number of Republican governors. We were in the teens when I took over and left, uh, I believe, at 29, but it grown the fund fundraising apparatus significantly and uh, just the national brand and, and capability of, of what a political committee could do in D.C. for state-based candidates. And it was during that time I met a guy named Mike Pence, and uh, and the result of that was years later, I would get uh, a call and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm shortening the story, but from uh, from Mike Pence and people close to Donald Trump who had an interest in uh, me leading the vice presidential effort uh, once they had selected Pence, which uh, was something I had to think about because I had three or four year old triplets at the time and knew the commitment that that would take. I had built up a, a private and successful business here in Atlanta. I was uh, beginning to exit out of politics uh, day to day and had built some other verticals in advertising and corporate consulting, uh, but really felt uh, called to help a, a good man and a good cause. And, uh, and so traveled around the country for them, uh, with them for uh, the, the 2016 campaign through the convention, the debates. And uh, when we succeeded, uh, had the honor of helping in a pretty significant or a senior way at the transition. And then shortly after the inauguration, got a phone call that they'd like uh, for, for me to consider joining the administration, which was a difficult decision for my wife and I, because Atlanta had always been home. Again, we had these young triplets and uh, being a good you know, husband and father was a, a real priority. And it was hard for me to envision how I would be able to successfully do both, work in a senior position in the White House and also be a good husband and father. But um, through a lot of prayer and you know serious conversations with my, my wife um, and people I trusted, we decided that for a season of life that that was the most important thing we could do. And so we moved to Washington and the last couple of years uh, spent, uh, spent that time as, as Mike Pence's chief of staff uh, in the in the West Wing, and it was a great honor to do it. Um, I left in early 2019, so about a year ago, and have been back in Atlanta uh, with uh, my wife and kids and rebuilding a business since. Yeah, and that's an incredible ride you've had here, Nick, and uh, I can only imagine the kind of work and effort that does go into keeping up uh, uh, that type of lifestyle, that type of career, that type of effort. What, about how old were you then when you first then when you had the triplets, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective on life? 
I was 30 years old when I had the kids and uh, well, when my wife had the children, uh, I was I was there to, to witness it and what a great day it was. Um, and I would say it changed everything. You know, it's a cliche. I, I, I tell all the new parents that I'm friends with, you know, up front, I'm like, look, there are some cliches about parenting, but we found them all to be true. And it really does completely change your life. In our case, it was it's changed our life uh, for the better. Probably the first thing that comes to mind and you asking that question, because it caught me so off guard with someone who I respected a lot, was pretty close to, called me while we were still in the hospital. I think the kids were a day or two old. And some of your listeners probably know her. She's a former governor, former U.N. ambassador, uh, Nikki Haley. She called to check on my wife and I and congratulate us. And she said, uh, I just want to tell you something about parenting and uh that that someone told me and it's really stuck with me over the last 10 or 15 years i said okay she said you're going to discover a love that you didn't know was possible in the way that you're going to love these three children and she paused for a second she said and you're also going to discover uh, an anxiety and level of worry that it comes only with the association of that new uh level of love that you've never that you've never felt a new level of both love and worry. And that stuck with me as something at the time I thought, yeah, I don't, you know, I already love things like my wife so much and our dog so much and the career that I um, have, uh, you know, I'm, I know I will love my children that much, but it's in the years um, since of becoming a father, I now every day understand a little more of what she meant by that, which is, um, until you're a father, you can't conceive uh, of loving anything as much as you love your own children. And um, I know my wife feels the, the same way. And certainly our highest devotion and commitment is to one another. But um, and there's just a, another level of love that comes associated with with the children that, that you create. But also with that is, uh, you know, what what changed my life is I, I had up until that point always been so hard charging and uh, never second guessed any anything I felt strongly about I pursued and I pursued it with 110 uh, percent to change it or to win or whatever it was with with no looking back. And every day that those children have grown a day older, uh, they very much factored into how does this impact them and how does this impact their future? How does this impact my time with them? How does this impact my ability to be a good husband to my wife, a good father to my children? And so um, it totally changed everything about the way I operate professionally. Uh, But I would say it's for the better because uh, they're, they're more important. And uh, since having children, it's certainly, I I never feel like it's uh, inhibited or inhibited or encumbered in any way, my uh, potential for success. But there have certainly been times when I've chosen what I think of as, you know, success at home over maybe success in government or politics or in business. Yeah, very well said, Nick. And, you know, I always say like for my wife, we have four children and for my wife and I making the jump from two to three was the most challenging that we had. You got that all in one shot. So how do you kind of like, with with having triplets, how do you kind of prioritize if uh, more than one kid needs to be changed at a time and feed? Like, How how did you guys happen to manage all that stuff? 
my wife is a logistical and organizational genius, really. It's not, <laughs> it's not my strength, but um, really, I could, if I walked you back through, you know, videos or pictures of when our kids were infants and even toddlers, um, I, I so respected what my wife did then, but now in hindsight, respected even more because she just provided this incredibly clean, organized, stable, uh, happy home to raise these children in. And that that's really a te testament to her gifts and, and strengths. Um, so it never felt like we had to choose one over the other. She had such a good plan in place, uh, almost like an assembly line of the ways to feed them, the ways to change them, to burp them, to get them back to bed. And, uh, and look, I also think pain is relative, right? It's all we know. So I think it would have been much harder to probably if we had had one child and then a few years later had triplets, we'd have something to compare it against. But for us, uh, it's all we've ever known. And it's just been uh, uh, while challenging at times, obviously, whether you have one kid or, or five, I think there are obvious um, challenges to parenting. But it but but it really has been just such a great gift. The one thing we try to watch, well, we watch we try to watch several things, but is that uh we never wanted them, their identity to be the triplets. And so while we never controlled what other people said about them, we made the decision early on that, that even casually, we wouldn't refer to them as that, that, that we would refer to them, you know, as their, as their individual identity and to make sure that they grew up with their own identity and be proud of the fact that they, that they had two siblings, but that their whole identity wasn't wrapped up in being a triplet. And so going back to one of your first questions about what activities do they like, we've never tried to get them to all excel or be good at or do the same thing. You know, we had one son who really wanted to pursue horseback riding and we thought that was important that he was able to do it. And within a month, of course, the other two said, well, now we want to do that too. And we said, no, that's, you know, that's Talton's thing. He thought of that. We, uh, he was willing to sacrifice other things to be able to make time to do that. And so we want to support him in that. And it's been very similar, whether it's in golf or tennis um, or their favorite foods that we try to preserve their their individual identities uh, despite them being triplets. And and then another um, and, and really the outdoors have given me, you know, this ability to, to do this um, is that when I go hunting, I said to my wife a, a few years ago when I realized I can't do this well with three at a time. And if I can really do it one at a time, not only do they get a lot more out of the experience because I'm able to really teach them the, the values and safety lessons and instructions of hunting. But I was blown away at the different side I saw to each of my kids in the outdoors. <clears throat> I don't want to get emotional, but when, when it was just the, the two of the, the two of us, um, you know, the, the, the conversations you have and, um, the things they're willing to say and sort of how they open up. It's, it's not a sad thing. It's just, it's such a beautiful, it's such a beautiful thing that, that uh, as I learned that probably around the time they were three and four, we started really seeing that that one-on-one -on -one time, while it was great to spend time as a family and we really prioritize that you learn so much more about your children. Um, also it, when you carve out time for just them. 
Yeah, and I'll tell you, Nick, that's one of the challenging things, too. Like I said, I have four kids, and to find that time, even if it's just a walk to the store, to the bodega to get something, it means the world to them when they get that isolated time. So, And it is. It does create those special moments. Yeah. And for them, uh, it's like the center of their whole day, and, and it really right. makes them feel special. So I know that's definitely one of the challenges. How about as far as uh, uh, disciplining the kids, Nick? What type of discipline, Aaron, are you as a dad, and is it different than the discipline style you grew up with? Nothing beats an American flag made in the USA, right? Well, how about an American flag made in the USA by veterans out of duty-worn fatigues from all branches of the military? That is exactly what you get with combat flags. Combat flags are handcrafted from duty-worn fatigues and offer a tangible piece of freedom to the American people. Each flag is accompanied by a professionally designed and printed card that tells the story of service of a soldier, marine, airman, sailor, or coastie who wore the fatigues used to make the flag. They are the real deal, Dad, so what are you waiting for? Visit CombatFlags.com and use the promo code FATHER, and First Class Fatherhood listeners will save 10% off their purchase. Veteran-owned, American-made. CombatFlags.com, promo code FATHER. as far as uh, uh, disciplining the kids, Nick, what type of discipline, Aaron, are you as a dad, and is it different than the discipline style you grew up with? You know, we expected obedience early, and we didn't tolerate disrespect. Uh, we made our expectations clear, and they were high ones, and uh, have been and still are our, our, our kids' greatest cheer- cheerleaders. But if they intentionally disobey or disrespect us, you know, there have always been consequences. And obviously, with age, we've, we've adjusted that. Um, but we, we just found, you know, early on, this, this is probably going to sound a little odd, but we, we early on made the decision not to talk to our kids like babies or children, but explain things obviously in ways they can understand, but, but just explain our expectations, um, make clear, our expectations and what the guardrails uh, were and are ensure that they're in a situation where they can actually succeed in that environment, you know, never have uh, unrealistic expectations. But, but we've from the beginning had uh, sort of a high level of expectation of what we wanted them uh, to act like in, in terms of how they would uh, honor and respect us. And, and again, we didn't expect perfection. I mean, look, I'm every day I fall short of what I'm called to do. And every day I make mistakes. So we've never, we've never had unrealistic expectations, but we have, but we've had high expectations. We've been their biggest cheerleaders, but when they've uh, intentionally fallen short or intentionally disrespected us, there were consequences. And at times, you know, from a kid's perspective, severe ones, and uh, we also found uh, that that the children that the, the each of our kids responded to different things in different ways. For for one of our kids, uh, you know, being separated from us was the the greatest form of, of punishment. So if if I popped his behind or popped him on the leg, he you know there was really no change in behavior. It didn't it didn't bother him. Uh, but if we said, you know, if you want to act like that way, you're going to go to the room, you're going to sit on your bed with no books, and you're going to sit quietly with the door closed. Uh, to him, that was a big deal, and it and it changed behavior. Whereas um, another child, you know, the looking at him harshly or popping him on the on the leg uh, 
was was pretty devastating. He didn't like disappointing us. And so um, the fact that we had clear guidelines, guardrails, empowered them to get there, were their biggest cheerleaders, gave them unconditional love. But when the conditions warranted uh, discipline, we gave it to them and we gave it to them consistently. The result of that is we haven't had to discipline them that much. Um, they're, they're, you know, I think all parents um, and, and deservingly so are biased about their kids and they think they have great kids. Um, but we just we just think we have wonderful kids and they uh, they have tender hearts and they seek to, you know, honor the adults around them and, and be respectful. And when they get out of line now, it, it usually doesn't uh, require severe punishment. You know, they're at the age now where you can explain, look, this this is not accepted. And here are the consequences if it happens again. And it usually doesn't. But I think that the, the we are at that point now because early on. Um, we didn't really make exceptions where there were where, where there was continued slippage. We would ump, you know ramp up the uh, the consequences for it. And so I would just say you know consistency, um, never acting out in in uh, in anger on anything we've we've done. The motive behind it has been look you're getting in trouble because we love you and we don't like it any more than you. But here are the consequences. Um, consistency and, and my wife and I having each other's back, you know, we, uh, we also early on made the decision that we would always back each other's play. Even if in the short term, we didn't disagree with it, that we felt like if our kids could play us against one another, that that would be, you know, harmful for our marriage and not a good, uh, not a good look to them. And they, they know now they're at the age where we'll say, obviously mommy and daddy don't agree on everything. Um, but once we make a decision, we honor each other's decisions. And uh, and I think having that consistently consistency so they couldn't play us off of one another has really benefited not only our, our kids because they don't feel like it's worth the energy to work the jury. They know if dad said it, mom's going to back it up and vice versa. Um, but uh, and, and finally, I just say, you know, never acting out of out of anger. We've we really made the pact with each other that we would never discipline them in anger, but that we would do it, you know, thoughtfully and lovingly. Um, but that doesn't mean that there hasn't been some harsh consequences there. There have been. But just we our kids were never in a in a situation where it was, wow, he, he I'm getting disciplined and there's a lot of anger. We, we feel like, you know making your fit your your children scared is probably not a, a great idea yeah yeah good stuff nick and I, i'm the same way here with my kids i have some that you could tell him the stove is hot all day long and he's not going to listen until he actually touches it and says oh this is hot the other one he'll listen so i mean it's i think part of the job the journey of uh, of parenting is trying to find those uh ways in, into into their heart and into their into their mind and trying to figure out the different ways what about as far as technology nick i mean that's a that's a big challenge for all of us right now with the video games the youtube and stuff have you introduced them to the technology are they swiping screens or not yet uh very limited it's a it's a it's a not a, an apple tablet i don't want to give the brand a, a shout out um i'm not actually a huge fan of it but it is a it is a safe uh very kid-friendly tablet even then, it's really limited when they get to use it. We disabled the Wi-Fi features uh, where it's an impossibility for them to be able to, you know, search on the internet or download what they want. And so, for special occasions or if they've, you know, it's something they can work towards is, you know, time with their with their uh, they call it their game. Uh, 
that they, you know, they get it from us and we know what's on it. So safe programming, safe games, um, uh, good education, STEM modeling, things they can do. Even with that, we feel like at this age, the best thing they can be doing is exploring outside, building forts, playing basketball, team sports, individual sports, using their imagination around the house. Our kids, um, because we're not a a real technology-friendly family uh, for our kids, what they come up with in terms of games they play with each other or, or even in isolation has blown our mind. And, and we've seen the sort of the fruits, it's not to say this is the only way to do it, but we've seen the fruits of, of being very limited in technology just by their desire to, to, again, use their imagination to read books, to have us read to them. Um, I feel like they've got the, the rest of their life to be on, you know, their iPhone or a tablet or a computer. And that really at this age, as their, as their brain is forming, it's, it's learning all the other cognitive skills that, that, uh, that they need to do away from a screen. And so we just, you know, that, you know, this, because uh, I've heard your, you talk about it and your other dads on this podcast, the, the statistics around what kids are exposed to and uh, the, the average age of when, you know, young boys and girls are exposed to pornography is staggering. And, um, and it's undeniable. It's, you know, objective third party statistics, the statistics around the addiction rates of young kids that once that that's what their brain uses for stimulation are staggering. And so um, we use it as uh, as sort of a part of uh, a reward system they they like it they don't love it uh in terms of television time they probably watch the tv once or twice a week um it's sort of a privilege that they work towards and uh or sometimes it's just because it's a rainy day and we say you've been great all day you've played with your you with one another and there have been no arguments we'll turn on um you know the tv for half an hour or an hour we've gone through normally friday night is family movie night where we'll order their uh favorite pizza and then we'll watch a movie together. And so we've gone through a lot of the, the old classics together as, as a family. Um, some movies that I'd never watched or heard of, and that's a, you know, that's a real treat for all of us. But uh, to answer your question, we've been pretty limited on the technology front. If for no other reason and putting the risk aside, which I think are, are severe and legit. Um, uh, there's just so many other great things to do when you have three, seven year olds. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And the best thing I love about the technology, like you said, they're able to archive some of these things. Like I get to sit there on the Saturday mornings and instead of watching whatever there is on there, I'll put the Looney Tunes on or I'll put on, you know, an old Three Stooges and stuff like that that I really enjoy to watch. And I get a chance to share that with them. So but yeah, it, it is scary because my oldest is 13 now. So it's like the whole like growing up for myself, we were like introduced nice and calmly kind of into the whole thing with still naked pictures and stuff like that. If somebody yep. had a Playboy magazine, they were like the king of the school. Like, you know, but now uh, just with a simple Google search, they could get like this uh, ex- completely explicit. They could just blow their mind right out of the gate. So it is very scary. It is. And uh, yeah, I just I, I think the, the risks are severe and there's just a lot of other ways to spend great time. And I and I get the temptation because screens can be such a distraction that, you know, I, I think for a lot of parents, it's a way to to, to get some time for yourself. And so um, certainly not judging anybody who uses it in that capacity. We've we've really tried for it to be a last resort of entertaining our our kids and uh, and and. And I've seen the, the fruits of that 
at an at an early age. Yeah, and you've had an incredible career here, Nick, so far. Obviously, you hit the, the Time Magazine, 40 Under 40, most influential. Uh, what kind of plans or goals do you have here for yourself for the future? You know, um, to be content, and uh, I'm a person of faith, and uh, and to just, you know, trust the Lord with our future and to be obedient to whatever he calls me and my family to do. And uh, uh, to, to really, you know, for this season of life, focus on being a great father and uh, a great husband. And I, I, I jokingly say, but it's, it's serious that, you know, Jamie and I both have the, the burden of great parents. And uh, one, we know what a blessing that is. So many people don't. And um, so we realize just starting out how fortunate we are and what a blessing that is. But, but what comes with that is that, you know, what great parents look like. I know what that, what that means. And, um, and to pursue an incredible career, it doesn't mean you can't also be a great parent. You can, people have them and they do both, but it's just something that in this age of, you know, from the time they're five to 12, 13, 14, 15, that era when, everything that they believe and, and most of what they will become happens at that age. They're just like a sponge that, that my priority is, is them. And to be a great provider, again, a great husband, great father, um, uh, to go wherever the Lord calls our family, but succeeding professionally for the first time in my life, starting really about a year ago is not the, is not my first goal. It's really not my first three or four goals. And so what I'm doing you know, in five or 10 years is, is totally unclear to me. Um, but, uh, I just believe that if I get this piece right, and if, if I focus on what kind of legacy I'll have as a father and husband, that the rest of the stuff will work itself out. Yeah. Good stuff, Nick. And you probably touched on it a bit there, but the last thing I'm going to ask you here, I'd love to hit all the dads that come on the podcast here. Uh, what type of advice do you have for the new dad or for the about to be father who's out there listening? Um, a few things. I'll just, I'll just tell you a stream of consciousness of what comes to mind. Um, this was a pretty provocative thought that the, actually the vice president shared with me when I was considering whether or not to stay at the white house two more years or, or come home. Uh, and again, it was provocative when he said it, but he, he basically said, you know, the notion of quality time is completely bunk. Kids don't, speak in quality time. And I said, what, what do you mean by that? Because, you know, that's such a popular saying. I'm, I'm focused on quality time. He said, no, the whole ball game, Nick, about being a father is quantity time. He said, you know, you're never you're never going to be able to schedule when your daughter needs to open up and share something really um, vulnerable to you. You're never going to be able to schedule time or they're never going to be willing to schedule time um, to ask you, you know, a really embarrassing or difficult question, um, or to, to, to share just a raw or emotional moment, you're either there or you're not. And he said, so just don't fall for the, the trap of, of quality time, uh, do your best for quantity time. And that was, that was very, uh, you know, that was very convicting and and easy for me to understand and process and it stuck with me since he told me so i would just say pour as much time into them as possible cut other areas it's worth it uh, they'll they'll you know kids i found will remember 
a lot more about what you do uh, than what you say. Uh, they'll accept leadership and, you know, correction if they know it comes from love and not anger. Um, and, you know, I, I would just say that last, uh, I, I'd ask your listeners who they most admire in life and to think about who it is that they most admire. And I'm willing to bet for most of them, it's people who both really love them a lot, but also challenge them. And that's what I think great dads do. You know, if you had to, if you had to sum it all up, um, great dads keep no account of wrongs, but we do correct. We build up confidence, but we don't lie or mislead our children about what they can do better. Um, but most of all, we just love them. And, you know, behind, I think, many of society's greatest challenges, unfortunately, and this is why I love this podcast, I think the common denominator uh, are missing dads. And uh, this country, thankfully, has so many unbelievable moms trying to do uh, both jobs. Uh, but a father's job is really important. And uh, it's not, it's overlooked in our culture. Um, it's just, it, it's critical. And so I would just say showing up unconditional love, uh, pouring into those uh, children, but but setting high expectations and helping them achieve it. Because if we think about who meant the most in our life, certainly for me, it's not people who always told me what I wanted to hear or uh, gave me participation trophies uh, uh, or lied to me or misled me. It's, it's people who, yes, they love me. They encourage me. They built up my self-confidence, but, but they, they, also had really high standards and they saw the person I could become, not the person who I was. And I think that that's, you know, the, both the challenge and the job responsibility of dads. Yeah. Very well said. I love the message. Nick Ayers, you're a first class father all the way. This has been an honor for me. And I got to say, thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on first class fatherhood. Thanks for having me. It was an honor to be on the show. Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Nick Ayers for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so cool. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys. Or drop me that DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast episode. I always love to hear your feedback. Make sure you lock it in for next week. I got three exciting episodes coming your way. David Harris Jr. will be here on Monday. Green Beret and UFC fighter Tim Kennedy will join me on Wednesday. And Friday, a fresh Frogman Friday edition of First Class Fatherhood. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out which Navy SEAL will be here on the podcast next week. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Tall as a tree, I saw feeling so.